0: Hi, I'm Natalie Argarius, and this is the Urbanist Podcast, where we discuss news, information, and ideas about improving cities and quality of life.
1: And I'm Ray DeBicke. In this week's episode, we're going to finish our third podcast season. We're going to catch up with some happenings of summer 2023 and look over how that's different than when we signed off for summer 2022. And we're going to generally gab. Stick around.
0: Well, Ray, it's almost hard to believe that it's summer again, even though we've already passed the solstice, so we're we're in it.
1: I'm shocked that it is the end of June and we are looking at 4th of July weekend, but we got 20-odd podcasts under our belt, so I guess it's been a good number of weeks since the beginning of the year.
0: That's true. Sometimes when I look at the queue, I'm like, wow, did we actually speak for that amount of time? That's kind of hard to fathom.
1: We have to salute all the people who listen to us for that amount of time, much less air running our (laughs) mouths. Thank you all.
0: Yes. Big, big thanks. So as we're heading into summer, of course, you know, one of the big things to be thinking about is school and the fact that schools are out, the kids are at the splash park, they're in camp, they're up to all kinds of stuff. So Ray, as the urbanist's veteran parent who has a lot of sage wisdom around all this, like, school stuff that's going on, how are things looking this summer in comparison to where we were at the end of the year last summer?
1: Well, the first thing is, it ain't quite summer yet for the kids in Seattle. They are going to school through this weekend. Wait, so, what? Wait,
0: wait, the, wait, what? Okay, I need you to hold <laughs> up and explain something to me, because I I thought summer vacation already started.
1: So, summer vacation officially started just on Friday, 30th of June was the last day of school. So now uh, this weekend, now that we are in it, is completely the first day of summer vacation for the kids. They had a two week delayed start because of a teacher's strike.
0: Okay, so this is a one-time thing. This is because they lost those instructional hours at the beginning of the school year, and now they're making up the time. Remind us again exactly what was, I have a basic idea, but what, are, what were some of the specifics around what that strike was about in the fall?
1: Well, the teachers, of course, were looking for an increase in salary commensurate with the enormous amount of effort that they put in over the pandemic. The other part is, is was a recognition that this was a global traumatic event and the kids weren't doing well. And so the counseling, uh, the the counselor dockets needed to be limited. There needed to be more librarians and nurses at schools. And in general, the teacher strike were arguing for a better all-around school experience so that the kids who are then coming back in after this screwed up couple of years were going to be decently taken care of.
0: That's interesting. And so... Now, I mean, when we think about how schools are performing, it's so tricky because we have kids who lost years of time in the classroom. And we have to really start thinking about, well, what does success look like based on everything that happened and where we're at now? What is Seattle Public Schools doing to ascertain whether or not they're succeeding?
1: So I always, always have to start with the reason that we go to school, which is the teachers. And the teachers are trying the best they can, because just like you said, the kids are not at a comparable level to where they might have been in this particular grade, but the teachers are rolling with it and are trying. Seattle Public Schools, on the other hand, is punting all responsibility as they normally do. Because under a couple different uh, perspectives, SPS is just saying, look, we have these rules to follow. We couldn't cut the year short for different reasons. We have this stuff that we're dealing with. And it's a, really a shirking of responsibility to say, hey, we could plan better, but nobody's really making us do it.
0: Now there were a couple other topics that we discussed over the year regarding um, this related to the school. So the decrease in enrollment, but woes around busing and contracts with the um, busing company that the school was working with. Are there any updates on those fronts, or are there anything that you know listeners should be keeping in mind regarding those topics as we move into summer?
1: I think in the bus stuff has gotten a little bit better. They decided SPS decided to split the contract between two different companies, and things improved. Now we've been fairly lucky in that we've transitioned completely to the public bus system, and so uh, I haven't. But I haven't heard overall complaints about the buses this year. Unfortunately, there's two other things going on with the Seattle uh, Public School Board first of all, the enrollment drop continues. And so they're starting to talk closing schools. That is utter nonsense. And in preparation for this conversation, they're starting to get really wily about things like bell times, about moving teachers around to balance out classroom sizes, all this other stuff. And they're not making the basic uh, argument to say, look, If we get more affordable housing in the city, we get more families in the city, and that is going to boost us as far as quality of education and be a draw. The thing that's preventing them from doing that is another way that they punted this year, which is they enlisted a new concept called Student Outcome Focused Governance, And it really is just, instead of making an overall school district assessment and trying to understand this large system, the school district board starts making its own grades and grading itself against its own syllabus.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned um, the idea of the, you know, the school School district getting involved in the the fight for affordable housing to keep families in the city. I wonder if there may be some people who feel like that's a bit out of their um, out of their normal purview or out of their normal realm of operation to be you know become involved with that kind of advocacy. Um, but at the same time, it's also. When you close a school, there's so many things that happen with that, right? You lose a community center. You have teachers who lose jobs or who are moved from one community to another. You have kids who may have to travel farther um, to get to school. So there's there's just there's a lot of considerations to make. Um, but I, I I do sort of feel for the district in that with this decline in enrollment, they they have a pretty much immediate loss of revenue because we fund our school system based on full-time enrollments. And so when kids go away, those dollars go away and there really isn't a lot of time for the school to respond. You know, you can't really say like, oh gosh, you know, we've had this decline in enrollment because maybe there are a lot of kids who are honestly in private school right now because their parents are concerned about those that loss of instructional time in the pandemic and they think that a private school will be a better option to, for them, maybe even just in the short term. But even if all those kids come back, well, then that will kind of, it, it, it will perhaps create more chaos because then suddenly they have to reopen schools or they have to have larger class sizes in the run up to reopening schools. So while I understand being critical of the school board, at the same time, I also, I feel for them because the position they're in cannot be an easy one.
1: I completely agree that it's not an easy one, and they're automatically on my poo-poo list because they have a long history of avoiding these hard decisions. I'm always irritable that there's not a better relationship between City Hall and the school board, and I am always going to point out that you cannot get any further from a school in the city than City Hall, except City school's headquarters, which is way down in the Duwamish next to the Starbucks headquarters. So these folks who are trying to manage the school district don't have any kids nearby. And it's really kind of one of those irritating uh, evidences, uh, pieces of evidence that say, look, you're not hearing from the parents. You're cloistered in this little uh, 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 enclave. We
0: don't have a public elementary or middle school in downtown Seattle, we do have the Seattle Center School, which we talked about um, in a previous uh, podcast that we recorded around school choice. So that is a public downtown school. Granted, it's a little, I mean, it's on the periphery of downtown, but it kind of fits the bill for that. But when we think about how much time and energy and conversation is occurring on the side of the city and organizations like the downtown Seattle Alliance, the DSA and others around bringing more life into downtown Seattle. Having public downtown schools would do so much to make our downtown livable for families and accomplish some of those goals that uh, they're, you know, they've set out.
1: I know most of the folks that I deal with as friends and people that we encounter in the neighborhood that I recognize all come through the school because that's been the center of the neighborhood for a very long time. Uh, my oldest wrapped up at, uh, at middle school this year. And that's why we talked about center school because it was an option high school that, uh, uh, we didn't go with, but the last day of, um, the, the graduation shindig. It wasn't a graduation for middle schoolers. It was a handout things, handout certificates and take pictures. Um, but it was after school and it really drove home how weird this school year was by its normalcy. Even though we were shifted by two weeks, this was the first year in three that things have been a little okay. Cause before this was, second year of pandemic before that was the full year of pandemic. And before that was the end of, uh, was where we were supposed to be off for two weeks and it continued. So 2020, 2022, uh, 20 2020, anyway, when I got to the school, it occurred to me that I didn't know 75% of the people. And it's because our middle school is the con- consolidation of three or four elementary schools And I never met them from the other schools. I know one or two of them from different things, but most of them got into the parking lot and sectioned off to the elementary schools that, you know, they kind of had gone to already. Now, I do look forward to active things downtown, and I'm hopeful that there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to be going on. Because guess what? We're going to be in town for a good amount of July. And it looks like there's an action plan coming up by the mayor. In order to make downtown a more lively place, um, I have opinions about it, but we'll have an article about that.
0: Is there anything that you would want people to be aware of, or any kind of maybe teaser that you can, you know, put forth for your article?
1: I was um, in looking at the article. I don't think it. I I don't think it was an accident that the mayor announced this uh, big downtown action plan right before the month of July started. And I think July is going to be a pretty raucous time downtown. We have um, the uh, major league baseball's all-star game is going to be a week of fantastic fun stuff, um, including the uh, HBCU college game. We're going to have the celebrity game. We're going to have home run Derby all on consecutive nights And then the all-star game where uh, national eyes of television are going to be on us. And of course, I think we have to deal with the play callers. I think it's on ESPN this year. So I don't remember if we have to deal with Berman anymore, uh, making his ridiculous calls. But um, it should be fun uh, to watch and listen to. And there's going to be a big fan fest around it, which I don't think you need too many tickets to get into.
0: You know, we do have a great downtown. This is something that we shouldn't be taking for granted.
1: I always feel that downtown Seattle gets a bad, bad rap and it's snowballing because there's difficulty that the city has. And Third Avenue, not an easy place, especially with buses moving up and down it, um, making people feel that it should be an issue. Even though the buses don't make the issue, it's lack of people actually out on the street a lot of that got covered up while there were a lot of office folks going in and out of these buses all the time. And what the pandemic laid bare, of course, was there have been problems. They just became super-duper visible when there wasn't anything else going on. Now, on the other side of it, on of of people dealing with the pandemic, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I think we're going to see a lot of improvement in perception, even if there isn't necessarily an improvement in the actual Uh, uh, ways that Seattle deals with uh, homelessness and drug abuse and things like that. There's a lot of words being spent on it um, and I think some of this stuff is going to come out in the wash for lack of a better term without, unfortunately, without any real uh, uh, deep improvement. Well, that's it for this week's pod. If there is something we do that you enjoy or you want to write to us about your summer vacation adventures, we will be checking the email machine over the summer. Don't hesitate to email us at podcast at theurbanist.org. This is the end of our podcast season. We are out until the week of Labor Day. Hope you and yours have a safe and deeply unproductive summer. I'm Ray Dubicki.
0: And I'm Natalie Argirius. Thank you for listening and have a great summer. Oh,